0: Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. I can't quite believe we're at the end of season one and in the final episode. And I wanted to end each season with a question and answers episode as I get so many of these through Instagram, when I'm talking to people in person, from friends and family, that I thought it would be really helpful to have an episode where it's, it's not about one specific topic, but lots of different little things. So there's no guest today. It's just me answering some questions you've sent in to me or, you know, asked me in person after bumping into each other, masked and socially distanced, of course. Season one has seen me talk to leading experts about everything from sexual pleasure to perinatal mental health issues, from erections and erectile dysfunction to sexual pain, spoken to incredible experts and I'm eternally grateful for their time their knowledge um, and their expertise that they so generously shared with me and you my listeners. I have loved doing this podcast and this podcast was born about i say just over a year ago and over new year's last year away with some friends in times that felt so so foreign now I guess and even somewhat anxiety-provoking in social settings. I discussed the idea for the podcast with friends, and it came together. But COVID had other plans, and the first part, um, well, well over the first part of 2020, was a corona coaster, to say the least. Extremely emotional for myself, for my loved ones, um, having to help clients navigate it themselves, you know. I am a a clinical sexologist but I'm also a psychotherapist and so much of my work this year has been helping people just process and manage the emotions that are coming up around this experience and so it kind of got put on the back burner and finally in the kind of second part of the year I decided I couldn't wait any longer. I'd been so desperate to put this out And the idea of calling it, asking for a friend, who I need to credit a lovely lady in New York by the name of Hannah for that, came about because while I try and talk about sex in the most no-nonsense, shame-free way, I haven't always done that. And I, too, have had sex be this topic that was quite taboo, quite embarrassing, quite shameful. And I've wanted to ask questions on behalf of somebody else rather, rather than it be known it's about me. And I think it's a really fitting title. And I'm very grateful to a lot of you who've told me that they feel the same way. I've absolutely loved doing this podcast and the feedback that I get from you personally, whether it's you're sliding into my DMs on Instagram or you're telling me when we bump into each other in person or you're dropping me a WhatsApp because we haven't spoken in so many years and you just wanted to share your thoughts, means the world to me. And I'm so grateful to everybody who's found an episode or many episodes to be really useful and really helpful. And I hope that with the topics that come out in season two and onwards, you'll continue to find them to be fascinating and to help them dismantle some of the shame we have around sex and to normalize some of the topics. So let's dive straight in with the first question. So the first question is, does my lack of sexual experience matter to men? Do they care? And is it weird? So, If your sexual experience, lack thereof or not, matters to a man, he's not a particularly good guy. Most guys are going to be so chuffed just to be with you and wouldn't care about your experience. If this is a woman asking this question, then for women, pleasure is a learned response and starts with getting to know yourself sexually without a partner first. And I know that that's actually not usually the way that it's done. A lot of women struggle with the idea of self-pleasure. And if you know what feels good for you, you can actually better direct your partner. Men report higher levels of satisfaction from pleasuring their partners than they do receiving pleasure themselves. There were some really interesting studies done on this. And so he's actually just thrilled that he gets to please you. You know, whether it's with the same partner, Or it's with a different partner, the more you explore your own sexual needs and what works for you, the more confident you're going to feel. So, question two Why do I find it hard to get in tune sometimes? Now, I think by get in tune, you mean kind of get turned on or get your head into the game during sex. So, this is quite normal. It's normal for us to be distracted, for us to be thinking about other things when we feel we should be concentrating and focusing on one thing. If you just pay attention to how often your mind drifts in a day, you would be absolutely shocked. But particularly during sex, where we, we feel we must be wholly present, when we're not, we we feel guilty about this or we actually have a sexual experience that's been impacted by the fact that our our brain is not focusing, our mind is not focusing, and then we're focused on the fact that our mind is not focusing. So unfortunately, anxiety and worry have a massive impact on how we experience sex. And I, I did an episode with the wonderful Kate Moyle about how anxiety impacts sex. But The anxiety cycle, which is kind of, you know, I fear that I'm not going to be able to get in tune, and so I don't get in tune, and so my sexual experience is impacted, and so the next time I have sex, I fear I'm not going to get in tune, and so I don't get in tune, and so my sexual experience is impacted. It's a real vicious cycle that will take place, and the more that we worry about something taking place, the more likely that is to happen, because we're fixating on that worry, When it comes to sex, we can experience something called arousal non-concordance. So what this means is that our bodies show signs of arousal, so, you know, you might get an erection, your vulva um, might swell, and there might be natural lubrication, your nipples might harden, your skin might be sensitive, but your mind might not be on board. So you don't feel that you're in the moment, you don't get in tune. And the opposite can be true as well, where our mind feels like it's on board, we feel like we're in it, we can't wait for this, but our body just doesn't quite show those signs that it's, it's, it's caught up yet. So there is the possibility that by not getting in tune, there might be some arousal non-concordance happening where the mind and the body are not on board together. But also, I suppose if this is happening more regularly, then we also need to look at the context in which sex is happening, you know, or around which sex happens. Are you highly stressed? Are you and your partner in a good place in your relationship? Do you feel attracted to the person that you're having sex with? Um, Are you struggling to cope with something personally, anxiety, depression? Are there body image issues? Getting in tune sexually Is something that we do need to work at. It doesn't just happen. We do need to put effort into it. And so for the person asking this question, what I would do is actually get you to practice some mindfulness outside of the bedroom, outside of sex. And mindfulness can take any form really. It doesn't have to be a formal practice where you're sitting down for 20 minutes or half an hour to meditate. It can be standing outside looking into the garden for five minutes listening to what you can hear, paying attention to what you can see, noticing what you smell, noticing what sensations you feel on your skin, perhaps being aware if there's any taste in your mouth, you know, it can just be engaging your five senses. The way that I would describe it to people is, is your mind full during sex or are you mindful during sex? But I guess it is important for me to say that the more pressure that you place on yourself to get in tune, the more pl- pressure that you place on yourself to get in the zone, the the more difficult it's going to be because that is going to cause an anxiety cycle. So try and focus on sensations during sex. Just notice that your mind is getting distracted and bring it back gently and compassionately to your partner, to what you're feeling, to what you're experiencing. And try to pay more attention to what's happening in the moment rather than what you feel is not happening. So next question and this is actually a question that that I am going to do an entire episode on. Somebody asked about the the impact of the link between sex and eating disorders. Now this is such an enormous topic that I think I'm going to do an entire episode on this in an upcoming season. But I do want to say, body image and the way we feel about our bodies has a direct impact on our sexual experience. Sex is all about letting go. And so if we are hung up on the way that we look and the feelings we have towards our body, we are not going to be able to let go. The more uncomfortable you feel in your body, the less you're going to be able to enjoy sex. And there's a high correlation, unfortunately, between eating disorders and sexual difficulties, such as sexual pain or difficulties having an orgasm. And this is not specific to those who identify as women. This is specific to all people, that if you have an eating disorder, the likelihood of experiencing sexual difficulties is very, very high. So the more negatively you feel about your body, the more likely it is you're going to struggle to let go sexually. And thus the more likely it is you're probably going to struggle with some sexual difficulties. So look out for this episode in an upcoming season. I think it's a particularly fascinating topic. I work with a lot of people who have eating disorders and struggle with sexual difficulties and perhaps often don't make the link between the two. Next question. Why do some people like hurting the other during sex? isn't that abusive, or are there psychological reasons? So let me first put this caveat in. As long as what you're doing sexually is safe, it's sane, and it's consensual, then really you can kind of do whatever you want sexually, as long as a partner wants to do it too. Some people do find pleasure in receiving pain that's more masochistic, And others find more pleasure in giving pain that's more sadistic. But if, as their partner, you are not comfortable, you have the right to say no and to not participate in something that doesn't feel safe and doesn't turn you on. It may be that someone's affinity to hurt another during sex has developed out of their own experiences sexually growing up, whether that is from trauma whether that's from reading or watching something or being exposed to something when they were younger, but if what they want to do, if hurting somebody else during sex is not safe, it is not sane and it is certainly not consensual, then we do have a big problem. Is it normal that I've never had a vaginal orgasm but my girlfriend has them all the time? So before I answer this question, I actually want to discuss the notion of different anatomical orgasms. And you can't see that I'm air quoting that because <laughs> because this is a podcast. But I like to put this, get this point across and I think I need to get it across early. I don't think it is helpful for us to define orgasms by an anatomical part. I do think that it's unfortunately not inclusive, but it also just kind of takes away from the fact that an orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm. If you experience this type of pleasure, then that's just, that's just awesome. Great. That's fantastic. Whether that comes from internal stimulation or external stimulation. So when we define orgasms by organs, we sometimes do get the sense that one is better than the other, or we should be able to orgasm from stimulation to different parts. And this is simply not the case. So the way that I want to define it is that, yes, or the way that I want to answer it, should I say, is yes, it's, it's completely normal that you've never had what you're feeling is a vaginal orgasm, um, but your girlfriend has them all the time. Some women, because this person is talking about vaginas, so I'm going to talk about women for a second, some women will naturally experience more pleasure from internal sensations and others from external stimulation only. The majority of of women will not climax during penetrative acts. You know, sexual intercourse, um, fingers, um, toys... Most women need clitoral stimulation to orgasm. So, if you have a clitoris, that is what is going to need to get stimulated the most. That is where the majority of the nerve endings are. And when it comes to the differences between us, you know, the clitoris actually is not just what you see on the surface, but that tiny little organ extends right down onto either sides of the vaginal canal. Now, the vagina is what is inside. The vulva is what you look at when you, when you, is what you see when you look at yourself in a handheld mirror. I have to be honest, but even until, you know, shortly after I qualified, nearly about a, a decade ago, I called the external genitalia the vagina. We are misinformed when it comes to that. So I think I just wanted to caveat that. But the clitoris, it's, only the smallest part, or if you could almost imagine just like bending your pinky finger and seeing the top of that knuckle, it's the smallest part that we're seeing, but yet there are two legs, they're called the crura, that extend right down inside the the vagina and the genitalia and the pelvic floor. And for some women, when they're getting internal stimulation, they're getting stimulation Still to the clitoris, but there's more sensitivity there. And for others, when they're getting external stimulation, that is when it's really going to bring them pleasure. So, the way that I like to look at it is that there is no better type of orgasm. If you're having an orgasm, if you're reaching that type of pleasure state, Fantastic, whether that's coming from external stimulation, from internal stimulation, whether that's coming from a penis or a finger or a toy or a strap on or something completely different. There is no one that is better than the other. So the next question whether sex with a larger woman is as pleasurable to men? I think that the real challenge here is that what you see as desirable in pop culture, like movies and porn, creates a completely false and unrealistic expectation of people's desires and preferences. Sex with anyone can be pleasurable, no matter what body shape they are or you are. And actually, in African culture, women who are larger, who are of a bigger body shape, are revered and men find them more desirable. So this has actually everything to do with one's personal preference and who one is attracted to, and nothing to do with seeing sex with different body types as more or less pleasurable. And then the final question for today's episode, what impact do antidepressants have on me sexually? Unfortunately, like all medication, antidepressants or SSRIs, as I'm going to refer to them here, they will have side effects. And unfortunately, one of the biggest problems with SSRIs is their effect on sexual functioning. So common problems that we see are delayed ejaculation, difficulty reaching orgasm, and lowered sexual desire. And actually, it's it's a bit of a chicken and an egg because depression will impact your interest and arousal for sex and the medication that you take to treat the depression is also going to impact it. Now there are some SSRIs that have a lower impact on sexual functioning and I'm not a medical doctor so I'm, I'm not going to speak specifically here to which one those are and you know I don't prescribe medication to my clients but it is something that I'm always aware of with my clients that When they come to see me, I need to know what medication they take because certain medications like SSRIs, like blood pressure medication, are going to have an impact on your sexual functioning and your sexual response. If you listen to episode one that I did in this season with Dr. T, the episode on sexual pleasure, you would have heard us speaking about the fact that medical doctors very rarely, if ever, take sexual functioning and never take sexual pleasure into consideration when treating their clients. So when you're going to see a doctor, a psychiatrist, about um, treating depression, obviously their priority is to alleviate that depression. But I would always say to my clients, you need to be assertive with what your needs are. And assert yourself when you're speaking to that doctor about the fact that you don't want sexual pleasure and your sexual response to be as impacted as it might be if you were on a different type of SSRI. If you're on an SSRI that's known to have less side effects and you're still experiencing sexual difficulties then like you were before, so now the depression is lifting a little bit, it does feel like things are a little bit lighter, then I would say that you need to look at your sexual experience as a whole. You need to look at how things are in your relationship. You need to look at how things are going in your life, like work stress, life stress, COVID stress. You need to look at the context in which sex is happening, how it happens and when it happens. And so if you're on SSRIs and the depression has lifted, but you're still finding that there is an effect on your ability to feel like sex and get turned on, then I would definitely speak to your prescribing doctor about starting to come off those SSRIs. But I would also be looking at overall your experience of sex. Now, I think maybe it's helpful actually for me to share a little analogy that I use around the the dilemma we have between action and motivation. As human beings, we we have this belief that we need to feel like something in order to do it. It's why most people start exercise regimes and diets on a Monday. Fresh week, fresh start Okay, on Monday. It's a good place to start. I'll do it then. But actually, we need to do something in order to feel like doing it more. So our action... Is going to lead to us feeling more motivated. And I always use this analogy with my clients. When I get up early in the morning for gym, I go through the exact same procedure every day. I go through a negotiation with myself of whether I should go or whether I should sleep in. If I manage to get up out of bed and I'm standing at the coffee machine having my quick coffee before I go, I'm still in a negotiation of, well, I'm up now, maybe I could do some emails instead. And then somehow I still manage to get to the gym. Now, by the time I get to the gym, I'm like, oh, well, okay, I'm here and I do my workout, and I've never ever regretted going to the gym once. Nobody ever regrets doing a workout. What do you think happens the next morning when my alarm goes off at 5 30? I go through the exact same negotiation process with myself, and some mornings I win, and some mornings that part of me that's not so helpful wins, but if I waited to feel like going to the gym to go, I personally would almost never go. So it's a little bit the same with sex and if you know you're feeling that that depression has lifted and the SSRIs have helped, sometimes we're only going to start feeling like sex once we are already having sex. So my advice is to explore your sexual pleasure on your own or with your partner even if you're finding that your motivation for sex is feeling quite low. So. It's so exciting that that we're at the end of season one and I can't wait to get into season two already. But like all of us, I need a little bit of a break. But I want to leave you with a little bit of a taste of what's to come in the next season. You can expect to hear about some absolutely incredible topics such as the use of psychedelics and sex, the modern concepts of love and how a sexual health physician would treat sexual pain for a woman. There are going to be some incredible topics coming up, but I of course want to hear from you. I want to know what topics you would want to ask about for a friend. And at the end of each season, I will again do a little Q&A Episode where you can send in any questions that you might have that I will very, very happily answer. I always say to people, I would rather that you sent me a DM on Instagram or you drop me an email in my inbox and I answer a question for you rather than you turning to Dr. Google. So, from me, I'm wishing you a very happy and healthy and safe festive period whether you're in the southern hemisphere and you're going to enjoy the sunshine and be outdoors as much as possible or you're in the northern hemisphere and you're cozying up on the couch look after yourselves and see you in the new year got a question you'd like to ask for a friend reach out to me via my website or instagram and i'll be sure to include it in a QA episode soon You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it.